Here's another inspiring message from Northside Community Church, Sydney. We have two readings this morning. And so our readings come from 1 Thessalonians 5, 9 to 10 from the New International Version and from 1 John 4, 16 to 18. And it's good news. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. And from 1 John, and so we know and rely on the love that God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. And this is how love is made complete amongst us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear of love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. Okay, so um, I wanted to write kind of a particular message for this this community, because I think you, you're kind of going through some some big adjustments as a church, church family. You just got a, a brand new campus at Taramara, which I had the, the privilege and pl- pleasure to speak at. And I know that there are some real um, challenges as you grow as a church, as you kind of expand your community. And so I thought I'd start this conversation by saying what we're going to look at is how we can share Jesus in seven seconds or less. Um, and seven seconds is a really, really long time. Um, and you don't believe me, and that's okay. I'll, that's why I've got 20 minutes to convince you. Um, uh, I, on Breakfast Radio, have seven seconds to make an impact with a person bringing authenticity, trust, love, and a reason why they should listen, okay? And that is a non-captive audience. What's the difference between a captive audience and non-captive audience is a non-captive audience can just flip off the radio station and go something else. They can put on Spotify. They can tune into some other lesser good breakfast show, whatever. (laughs) They can do something else. But what is a captive audience? Well, this is a captive audience. Welcome to captivity. (laughs) So good to have you here. Why is this a captive audience? Because it took a significant investment for you to be here. It's, it's Sunday morning. We could be out driving on this beautiful sunny day. There's other really good things that you could be doing. If you don't like what you're hearing, you standing up and leaving is a really obvious thing. I can see it. I can see the look on your face. I appreciate that the house lights are up just enough to see that. Um, but if you wanted to leave, it gets hard to lead. So therefore, you're a captive audience. Um, and that means that when I'm bringing a message, you're engaged, you're watching, you're listening. I don't get that on radio. No one since 1952 sat down and turned on the wireless to listen to it. Mum was around when the radio was invented in the 1700s. She's been there the whole life of it. And she knows that the way people listen to radio changes. We don't sit down and turn on a radio drama anymore and tune in, do we? 
We're getting the kids ready. We're trying to get out of the house. We're making lunches. And it's on in the background. It's the background noise to the day. And in seven seconds, you make a decision whether or not you want to listen to me or not. But I can communicate Jesus in that time. That first passage, 1 Thessalonians 5, that first section, for God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ. Seven seconds. There it is. There's the message of Jesus. All that anger, frustration, hostility, negativity that you're feeling in your life, you know that there's a God that loves you, that wants something more for your life. There's seven seconds. And I think it's an absolute privilege that I get to talk in the background noise. We ever notice that in our lives that God gets lost in the background noise? Do you know, like other stuff in life gets really busy and we just lose focus on Jesus. But I just get to dominate that space on radio, you know? And I get to bring humour. I get to bring creativity. I get to bring joy. I get to bring happiness, all which is marked by Jesus. Day in, day out, day out in that noise, the background noise of life. And that's a privilege. That's an incredible opportunity that I can speak truth and hope and all it takes is seven seconds. He died for us so that whether we're awake or asleep, we can live together with him. What's one of the biggest issues that people struggle with is depression and loneliness. What? That you have an opportunity to always know that there is someone there listening, waiting, being a part of your life. There's seven seconds to share the gospel. And this is the incredible opportunity that I have with a non-captive audience. Imagine how much easier it would be to do it if the person actually has to engage and listen to me. You know, and we, we, we church it up and we call that evangelism. But that's what we're talking about, is the ability for us to communicate the gospel to a friend, to a family member in seven seconds or less. Because I think... And this place is like beautiful. Like come and visit Northgate if you want to see what a terrible looking church on the inside looks like. I mean, this place is amazing. You've got LED lights and stuff. This is awesome. Um, But we can become really obsessed with the building, right? We want to get people in the building. We want to grow the family. We want to be able to invite them up over and pray over them and say, welcome to membership in the family, right? And then we want, because we've got the capacity and the capability to do this, have multiple services on, you know, maybe we, we can even start on a Saturday night one day. We'll have nine services and Sam has to preach 27 hours straight. He's so looking forward to it, right? Because we've got so many members, but it doesn't start in the building. If your thought for evangelism is if I can just get them in the building, back up a second and think about how weird this place is. Okay? The worship pastor looked like he was under arrest holding a lollipop. But that was what he was dreaming about. The other worshiper was carrying like a watermelon through a maze. Do you know? If you don't know what's going on, that's weird, isn't it? Everybody stand up and sing to the Father. Where is he? Is he going to come out? There's 400 people worshipping the Father and we're still yet to see him. And at some stage, there's crackers and drink down the front, but nobody's invited me up to have crackers and drink at any stage. Is that just going to sit there the whole service? That's weird, isn't it? 
And at some stage, I'll go, we're going to do communion. Everyone come forward, have crackers and drink. And you go, there's not nearly enough crackers and drink to satisfy me. It's a weird space. If you don't know the rules, it's very awkward to walk on in here unless you've got trust. Did you know you, you satellited as a church way before you took Taramara? Way before. There are hundreds of satellite churches sitting in this building right now that you are being a church to your community and it exists outside the walls of this building and that is where evangelism starts. I mean, yeah, I've got a big stage where I can speak Jesus in seven seconds or less, but I, I was a satellite campus in my... Uh, I would train at a mixed martial arts gym uh, if you guys know the legacy one here, we're similar. We're over at a place called VT1. 500 members. And I get to stand in that building and be Jesus in that building. And do you know what? It's so much easier if someone feels comfortable in the space. This place is weird and foreign and uncomfortable. And I don't want to, can't we be doing something different? Big Bash Cricket's on. Let's watch that. It's way more engaging than a breakfast radio show, Hope, for the Christian breakfast show. Where's Carl and Jackie O? You couldn't get them? Um, But if we start in their world, on their terms, in in a place where they feel comfortable, there's no walls. I'm on your terms, in your world. And I... I'm so convinced that if we can say to ourselves, I am a satellite for our church and I am in the community and I am bringing this love that 1 John 4 talks about. You know, 1, 1 John 4 is really simply an expansion of love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength and to love your neighbour as yourself. John just goes into way more detail about it. And he says, I want you to live a life of love. And as you live out that life of love, you'll get an opportunity to share Jesus in seven seconds or less. You know, I've been doing that at a gym for 15 years before someone said, here's a microphone and speak to 400,000 people. There was, 500, 000, there was 500 people that I said, I'm going to go in and be a light in this community. That's what 1 Thessalonians is talking about, is that we are a light. In the darkness, we flip the light on here. These lights are cool, but they're not super impressive because there's a lot of light in here. But if we kill all the lights and we turn one light on and it's dark in here, it shines bright. Don't we want to take that light and put it somewhere dark and flip the switch? People are like, whoa, what was that? It was really good. What's that about? That's where we make the most impact. And so that's what I said. I said, 10 years ago, I said, I'm going to go join a mixed martial arts gym. And I was a youth pastor. And the reason that this happened was that I stood up one Sunday and I said, we've got to share Jesus with people who don't know Jesus. And in that moment, the Holy Spirit convicted me and said, who's the one person that doesn't know Jesus that you share it to? And I was like, there's nobody. I've got to fix this. So I'm going to go and get smashed by a bunch of guys who are tatted up and love UFC. Because that's how my brain works. It's not obviously there's some damage. Um, so I went and did that and I met them on their terms, right? And over the course of 10 years, we've built up this relationship. And then it started to realize that there was a real cut through with this audience. Um, it was two years ago. We had uh, Misha Tate, who was like 
the women's champion and she came and trained at our gym and I saw her and I was like really excited. I was like, this is Misha Tate. This is the champ. The champ's here. Um, and the guy who runs the gym, not a Christian guy, was like, hey, Mish, you know Jesus? She's like, yeah, I know Jesus. I'm like, nope. Do you know Jesus? Is he your homeboy? And she's like, yeah, listen, me and Jesus are tight. And it's like, good, because this is Duncan, this is Pastor Duncan, and if you don't know Jesus, you will by the end of this conversation. <laughs> and I was like, I don't even have to evangelize anymore. This guy's doing it for me. And I'm like, Liam, you need to, you need to know Jesus yourself before you start sharing him with everyone else. <laughs> but that is built on trust and relationship and these soft touches that take time and time and time. I, w- I want to be uh, like water with my love, right? I want it to be like a relentless barrage. And when it washes up against a pillar, it just wraps around it. Because people say, no, I don't want Jesus in my life. If you treat them like a project, then you go, all right, well, I'm out. That's a jerk move, isn't it? I mean, we're building relationships with our community, which means when we, when we wash up with Jesus and they say no, we don't break the relationship, we keep it going because we want to reflect and show love of Jesus. You know, th- this really came to a head, um, uh, was it 18 months ago? Dad passed away? Yeah. Um, and I walked into the gym and they... Uh, They've been watching me for 10 years and they know I love Jesus. There's no doubt about it. And in that moment, they all stopped and they sat down and they were like, what is he going to do now? Is Jesus lovely? Is Jesus good? Huh? Tell me about how much you love Jesus right now. And that was hard because I had to stand up with a bunch of guys who have known me and journeyed life together and I've had them over for meals and we've shared and I've shared about how much Jesus... I love Jesus. And I said, man, I'm, I'm, I'm ticked at him. I'm angry. I'm angry. Dad's at a party and I'm standing at the front door. And they were like, what? <laughs> yeah, he's, he's hanging out with Jesus in his heavenly body, worshipping him. And I can't be there right now. I've got to be here with you. And you should have showered before you came to training today. <laughs> But I could live out and express how painful it was to say farewell to dad. But I had lost him. I know exactly where he is. He's in heaven rejoicing with Jesus for eternity and I'm heading there. So it hurts right now. But it's not a pain that's going to stop me from doing what God is calling me to do. And people time and time again were like, what is this? And I'm like, this is the difference between joy and happiness. You guys want to be happy. You want an external influence that makes you feel good. I'm saying that's not what you need. What you need is joy, which is an internal revelation that comes from Christ, which means that you're not predicated by outside environmental factors, which means as miserable as I can be about dad dying, I still have the joy of Christ. And they were like, this, what? This, it's, it's a new paradigm. Because I flip a torch on in a dark room. What, what is that? Because I'm a satellite campus in my community way before. It makes it really easy now to invite people to church because I've got intrinsic trust. Hey, listen, you're going to get in here sometimes. 
there's a bathtub on stage. We just dunk people in it. And it's representative of spirit that lives inside of them, but a good spirit, not a bad spirit. This is one that we all want and we all get in Jesus. You're a lunatic, but I'm in, right? Why? Because there's an inherited trust. Because the relationship was formed long before I invited them into the room. Long before I invited them into the room. And so it becomes easy to say, yeah, come along. We're going to have a good time. They're like, well, I know Duncan. And so it should be a fun day. I think one of the challenges is if we get obsessed with getting people in here, we're about six steps down the path. Each each one of us has interactions with people that I don't know. I don't have an inherited trust or, or relationship or tenure with, but you do. You've got that inherited trust. You've got that inherited relationship. And there's this simple opportunity for us to live that out lovingly. One of the things um, that happened two weeks ago, and this is, this is what I think is really significant. If you, I'm not going to say you get this, but if you get a speaker who comes up who says, you know, in 1996 when I shared Jesus with somebody, you like sit that person down or get him out of the building because he needs to be sharing with Jesus like with new stories, right? Like this week, last week. You know, I think that's really important. Because if we've got someone, you know, like an evangelist at me, working from 1996, it's like, Soundgarden is not in fashion right now, man. Stop. <laughs> it, but this, two weeks ago, I, I spoke at my church and I was doing a passage on Ephesians. And right at the end, I made this point about um, trust um, and trust in our leadership, right? The problem with our leaders, Australian and leader, Australia and leadership is... Not that we don't know what we want in our leaders. We all know what we want in our leaders, but the problem that we have with leadership in Australia is what happens when they break our trust and they make a mistake and we've got to restore them to leadership, okay? Leaders, leaders who make mistakes. That's the issue, is that we have no framework for that because what we've built is this kind of honour-shame environment for leadership. So everyone works to be on honour island. The moment they make a mistake and do something wrong, we take them and we ship them to Shame Island. There's no coming back from Shame Island. It's a one-way flight, okay? You can't build bridges back to Honor Island. They won't allow it. And so what we see is we get these incredible leaders who are gifted and know what they're doing, um, and then they make a mistake. Big old bonehead decision that's on display for the world to see, and we go, you are going straight to Shame Island. But what you do is you raise up a whole bunch of leaders who don't have the capacity to make bold, decisive decisions, which may not work, that they have critically assessed and say, we won't build a framework whereby you can be reconciled. But do you know who is a God of reconciliation? His name is Jesus. What if we were on Reconciliation Island and we were just a bunch of messy people living together and knowing that sometimes we make mistakes, but we've got a framework whereby we can redeem a person and walk them through a path. Two of the coaches from the gym were in the building at the time I gave the message. They said, you got to went and told the owner of the gym. The owner of the gym then called me and says, I want you to give the message that you gave on leadership at the gym. So there I am at the gym after training in full lycra. <laughs> I didn't wear it today because I didn't want you to have nightmares. It looks like stuffed Polish sausage. 
And they said, share. So I'm at sweaty guys. There's 200 of us sitting around and I'm shedding. And he says, just dial back the Jesus. Not switch it off, just dial it back. I'm like, not a problem. He's going to shine bright. Um, (laughs) I share this story and they come up to me afterwards. They're like, what you're talking about is forgiveness. I'm like, no, it's not forgiveness. Forgiveness is one aspect of reconciliation. But forgiveness says, I forgive you and then you can go back to doing whatever you're doing, which means that you're probably going to make the same mistake again, right? Which is not what we want because we just erode more and more trust. What we want is reconciliation, which is to say, I forgive you, but let's build a framework to a new and preferred tomorrow whereby we don't make the mistakes of the past, but we can't go back to the way things were. We've got to go back to a new place. We've got to go forward to a new place. That's reconciliation. And they're like, "Mm, I know the answer to this question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Where did you get this from? I'm like, I got that from the Bible and from the good Lord. (laughs) Oh, every time, right? Every time, because all roads lead back to Jesus. On their terms, in their turf, by their rules, is where we satellite campus our churches. Okay? I, I am willing to go into the darkness because I carry the light. And it just shines so much brighter. And I think if we can get to that place and see it not as a project but as a relationship, that's when we can start breathing the truth of Jesus and showing this relentless love that First John is talking about, living a life of love. Because the amount of times I get the answer no, it doesn't stop me. That's okay. I'll be like water and eventually erode this pillar that's saying no, right? And it's not my responsibility anyway. It's the spirits that's transforming people's hearts. I just want to breathe it and show it and live it out and exude it so that you might experience it constantly. And eventually those no's become maybes and, yeah, I'll come along and see. And... But we've got to be willing to make the step. But what's the problem? Where do we butt up against? Fear. But the fear really is of no, isn't it? Well, I don't want that in my life, you weirdo. Go back to your bathtub stage. Right? I mean, that's, that's the tension. We get no. But I, I look around the room. There's a whole bunch of parents in the room. Literally triple doctorates in the art of no. I mean, how many times and how many different ways can you express no to your children? So many different ways. Lovingly, not so lovingly. That's two. There's, I'm sure there's more. Um, Some of you are grandparents. Sorry, you're well-versed in the art of yes and always and as much as you'd like. (laughs) I'm looking at you. Would you like more red cordial? Of course you can because the parents are coming in five minutes and I can just hand you back. Farewell. That'll teach you. But if we're well-versed in the art of no, then surely we should be okay receiving it and it shouldn't break the relationship. You know? (laughs) No more red cordial. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> My son goes wild when he's on this stuff. Um, don't, we, don't we breathe that truth into people's lives in a way where even if we get a no, we can still love them around that? 
And that's, that's when we start to show people that they're not projects, but we wholeheartedly want a relationship. And if, if like First, First Thessalonians says, we are children of the light, bringing hope to the darkness, then when someone says, I don't want that, we flow around it. Okay? doesn't mean that you have to stop showing the relentless love of Jesus to that person. They're just not ready. The Holy Spirit's working on them. I, I was trying to think of a way for, for a community like this, how do we put this into action? How do, you know, how do we make this work? This is great theoretical stuff. Um, I, I want to say that I think it's really as simple. You know, I used to be really scared about evangelism, but the way I frame this is that I've got opportunity to build new friendships. Right? Evangelism happens best with friends. There's, there's some people who are just very powerful at standing up in front of a room of people that they've never met and calling them to repentance, and the Holy Spirit works powerfully through them. But I, I don't have that capacity. But what I do is I love making new friends. I love meeting new people. I love building new relationships. And it doesn't change every single time. Maximum trust, maximum grace, maximum love. You're getting it all right from the beginning, and then you can slowly erode it over time. But I top that baby up a lot. Do you know? The first thing I want to say is this. Have you had them over for a meal regularly? Because that's where it starts, right? We, we're about to do communion, which is us as a family, coming together and remembering what Jesus did on the cross for us. But we can live that out day in, day out with our families and with our communities really easily. Come over for, for a meal. Breaking bread is a real intimate uh, expression of love. I'm inviting you into my home to see where I live, to eat my food, which you're going to judge me for, and we'll have a dialogue, right? That's communion. That's an invitation. Do you do that regularly with them? Because projects, you'll do that one time, but relationships, you do that a number of times. Um, do you know their spouse, their girlfriend, their family? Because um, if you do, then you've probably got a decent relationship going on there. And being aware of a person's spouse, girlfriend or family is really significant because there's another relationship that you can build. That's a good thing. Do you know something intimate about them that they don't usually share? Because we can have a lot of cursory conversations, but someone who you have an intrinsic trust with has a willingness to open up and share about questions, share about deep, challenging questions. And oftentimes they'll ask a question about a thing that you didn't even think about. You're like, man, we're studying Ephesians, and you've just asked me a question about um, whether or not I can go to see a stripper. Do you know? And they're like... What? Let me get Ephesians open and I don't know if it deals with this. But this is what happens in a relationship is people will ask you a question that you have not thought about. Do you know? And you get asked these questions all the time. And they're great questions. So answer the question that they're asking. Um, and when you do that, oftentimes I'll open up and share intimate truths about their life. I mean, don't obviously preach them from the front of the stage, but... Honour those and encourage them in that. Which leads me on to the next one is, have you shared an encouraging message? You know, like I, I think uh, Jesus is a God of humour, of love, of creativity, of encouragement, like, I mean, of all that, right? 
And so I want to, I want to hear the wacky idea and champion you in it. I want, to, I want to hear that you're feeling down and lift you up and build you up in that and encourage you and make you feel um, like Jesus did for me. I want you to feel a million bucks. And I want to encourage you day in and day out. Even in a difficult season for me, I still want to try and encourage you. And I think speaking those truths through the seasons into someone's life is really significant. Have you had regular interaction and conversation that goes beyond simple pleasantries? Hey, Bill. Hey, Dunk. How you doing? Great. All right, mate. Have a great day. It's not a relationship. It's not anything. We do that with, I do that with the bus driver. Do you know? If we're forming deep, meaningful relationships with people who don't yet know Jesus, we can shine a torch, a light into that. But that means having real, robust conversations. It means that we're showing a love uh, that is self-sacrificing. Because relationships take investment, right? They take time. Um, And what we often have is that that butting up against fear where we say, I don't want to do it because we know how much it costs when love is broken, right? That's painful, which is why people are like, I don't want to love anymore, right? Because you're you're fearful, fearful of the result. But 1 John 4, what drives out fear? Love. Where's that perfect love found? In Jesus. So if we're children of Jesus, then we can overcome fear with the perfect love that lives in our hearts. We should be fearless, bold and courageous. No? Please, come over for a barbecue next weekend. No, come over for a barbecue the weekend after. I'm going to land here. I didn't share this, so this is a new one for you, Sammy. Sammy heard the other message. Um, I think about this is that I've got a big old dinner table, right? And at that dinner table, there's always free spots, for new people to come over. Do you know? So people say you're busy. Everyone's, everyone in the room is busy. Thumbs up. But we make time for those that we love and think are important, okay? That's truth, isn't it? We make time for family, for children, for loved ones, all that, right? There's always seats at my table, okay? But sometimes, because we've all got tables like this, okay? Sometimes someone says, you don't have a seat at my table anymore, okay? Relationships fractured. It doesn't mean that I have to take their seat away from my table. Does that make sense? And I might have a relationship where I say, you can eat at my table anytime. And they're like, well, I don't know if there's space at my table for you. That's okay. I'm not taking your chair away. Okay? Do you know why we should live like that? We've we've always got free seats. And especially free seats for those who, who have taken the seats away for us at their tables. Because of this. Because Jesus did it first for us. That's first John. Because God loved us first. There was always a seat at Jesus' table. And no matter how many times we tried to burn the chair at our table for him, he was like, there's always a seat here. People get turned upside down by that. When, you, when, you, when someone says to you, oh, yeah, I don't want to have him over, I don't like him. And you're like, hey, you want to come over to my house for a barbecue? There's always a seat at my table for you. People get annoyed by that. People get frustrated. Well, you, 
Can't have a meal at my table. I've got a special seat for you now. I put a pillow on it so you'd be nice and comfy. Stay as long as you want. I don't want to eat at your table. You know what? I've got the spare bedroom made up at my house. If you want to stay the night, you, you know what? You have the master suite. We'll sleep in that. Relentless love. Relentless encouragement. Yeah? Because that's what Jesus does for us. I'm going to pray and then we're actually going to have some communion. But this is an opportunity where we can think about those in our community because Jesus did this first for us. He laid down his body, which is the bread. He poured out his blood, which is the juice or wine. I forget where we are. Reform guys love the wine. That's his blood. And this is a representation of what Jesus did on the cross for us. Before we even responded, before we even knew what was going on, there was a, there was a chair at the Father's table for you. And that's what this is. And we want to we invite everyone, everyone in the building, to come up and be a part of this. I mean, Sam, Sam when he had his, his members up, wasn't joking around. He was being serious, is that you are welcome in this family. That we, we want you to belong before you believe. And I still haven't figured out how to behave. That's why we have discipleship. It's true, right? We're just constantly being discipled or disciplined. One of the two. Let's pray. Uh, Lord Jesus, we thank you for this opportunity. Uh, and we thank you for a chance that we have to gather around your table. Lord, that we might... Um, Take the communion and reflect on our families, on our communities, on our relationships, on our little mini churches everywhere. Lord, we love this place and we love the people in this place and we want more people to know about the love for you. And we are so thankful that you did it first for us. Lord, we, um, we pray over this communion. Lord, that as we all come and take it, uh, that we reflect on the good things that you did for us first. Well, thanks for tuning in. If you'd like to find out more about Northside, visit northsidechurch.org.au.